Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hi, this is Aaron X, and I'm Craig Eason, editorial director and owner of Fathom World. Now, I'm sure you know what it's like. You're feeling low, maybe tired, overworked, perhaps a little bit dejected. Things are not how they should be, or even how they used to be. The result is you begin to let things slip, mundane things at first, things that can easily wait another day or until next week. Now, I'm sure that in the surroundings of a lockdown, more of us are having these kind of thoughts. But what about the ship's crew? who have been locked on ships for longer than the three, four, maybe five months they thought they would be on board, locked and feeling perhaps a little underappreciated. Are they going about their jobs with the enthusiasm they had when they first stepped on board their vessels, or are they letting things slip, mundane things at first? Take it from me, an ex-seafarer, when you believe your time is up following an appointment on a ship, all you want to do is to get on that plane and get home. This thought came to me again about shipboard personnel performance while I was reading a retrofit report from Copenhagen-based Greenship of the Future. GSF is an industry-funded project looking at how vessels and shipping can be decarbonised or reduce their negative environmental impact. It's been running for a few years now and is a membership association predominantly backed by the Danish shipping cluster. Funding comes from Danish Ship Finance and its offices are located in the same building as the Danish Shipping, the country's Ship Owners Association and the Global Maritime Forum, which was formerly Danish Maritime Forum. And the shipping sector of Denmark is certainly a proactive one. Now this latest report has been a study into available technologies that can be applied onto ships today to reduce fuel bills. Now these kind of reports have certainly been done before and I have published my own in the past though my pimp my ship efforts paled nothing compared to this GSF report. This report took three existing ships from three of its members and looked at a range of technologies that could be retrofitted to give a return of investment of about three years. Now here for me were three interesting things in that report. First, not all the ideas were sexy, high-visibility marketing efforts that included more mundane actions like lube oil cleaning and installing LED lighting. Secondly, the range of solutions are all in existence and they represent a range of options and are certainly not exhaustive. But it does beg the question, why have they not done these types of retrofits already? One answer to this second point may be ship-owner marketing fatigue. There are so many solutions competing for attention. The performance software market, for example, is a minefield of options at the moment. That owners' representatives are overdoubtful of performance claims are more likely just to dismiss the entreaties than listen to them. Now, I'm going to go into more detail in this report in Fathom World. But here's another point, the third point that I want to mention right now. On one of the ships... The Victoria Seaways operated by DFDS. The savings were only around 11 or 12%. When on the other two vessels, both chemical and product tankers, they were significantly better. Now, there are a lot of reasons not to compare the figures of these three vessels. But when noting the lower savings potential, 
the report stated that it has been a challenge to locate fuel savings within the target ROI and one of the conclusions on this must be a dedicated crew, a superintendent and a technical organisation within DFDS that is highly focused on optimising their fleet. So, a motivated workforce is a good fuel-saving tool. So, back to what I was saying earlier. If we are motivated, we work better. Within the scope of Fathom World, I've also been looking at crew welfare, partly because I remember how I was treated when I was at sea and can relate to some of the issues being talked about. So it's been reassuring to hear the increased focus on efforts to help crews who need help and to offer them better lives on board, particularly from some of the charities. But there are also tools being offered to ship owners and ship managers, even created by ship managers now, to make life easier. And here there is a potential stumbling block of sorts. If a crew member is disillusioned, then being told to use a specific tool may not be a benefit, not all the times at least. They may just be disillusioned. How good is a ship which has a crew which lacks motivation and enthusiasm? It may be interesting in a year's time to find out how ships were managed by crews as the coronavirus pandemic lockdown took a toll on well-being. Then last year I came across a startup company called Signal. That's Signal with an O at a crew welfare and technology conference at the Inmosat headquarters during London International Shipping Week. Signal has the idea of using a nudge to encourage better behaviour, better actions. It has proven its idea in the aviation industry and is now working steadily to get a foothold in shipping. Its methods are somewhat different. Rather than get the tools into the hands of the shore-based manager to then liaise with crews, it's designed software solutions and an approach to crew based on behavioural economics. Now while behavioural economics may sound dry, you'll actually be used to it. It's the reason why supermarkets put the fresh vegetables and fruit at the entrance to the store to ensure you get a positive impression of the store. Signal was created by Professor Robert Metcalf, an assistant professor in economics with a head full of research into the application of behavioural economics and Dan White, an environmental innovator. It's been Dan White who I've been talking to about the approach and the software that takes shipboard and weather-related fuel consumption data, cleans it and leaves only the influence of the decisions of the crew. This is then offered back to the captain or chief engineer to encourage them to make improvements, not by setting them targets per se, but by suggesting that when targets are met, donations go to charities of their choice so the officers save fuel, reduce CO2 and support their favourite causes. Here's Dan White. Across industries, um, we see at the individual level enormous variations in performance when all else is equal. So um, to to take the example from aviation, we see that um, airline captains, for instance, are performing extremely different uh, from each other when all other fuel efficiency metrics, as with fuel being our um, indicator of, of decisions or behavior, um, we're seeing consumption levels vastly different at the individual level um, on aircraft when 
we control for all of the other variables that affect fuel, such as weather, the aircraft itself, the weight of the plane, uh, the airport and whatnot. So what we're seeing here is that there are, there's, there's an enormous variation between individuals when they perform their jobs. So that's the first point. So that's a be- that I call that a behavioral gap. Um, now, what we're trying to do here is understand, um, in, again, in aviation, if I use that example, is to move those performers who are um, who are less fuel efficient than, than the, the, the higher performers um, up in a way where we're not affecting their well-being and we're not we're not being big brother about this. Um, and we're doing this in a way which is useful to help them perform better in their job. And so if, to, to switch to maritime, we think there are, uh, there are sig- significant differences in the way data is collected and, and what affects fuel consumption. But ultimately, we think that the variance in performance is very similar between big decision makers. And uh, subject to some tweaking of our feedback, Um, we think we can provide messages to help those decision makers perform better in their jobs. And this is where behavioral science comes in. One of the things that I wanted to ask there then was how you encourage the individuals to actually participate because there's a difference between telling somebody to do something and actually Mm -hmm. encourage them to be proactive with it one is a willful engagement and the other one is more of a coercion yeah sure so so well there's a simple answer to that we're not forcing anyone or or asking anyone to um to engage with our system that's one of the beauties of it and that's one of the core principles of behavioral economics and nudging is that people don't have to follow the um the information or the or, or the route that's being suggested to them um, there is always the option not to do that. So I think um, the thing I must stress is that we're not restricting or providing pressure to um, affect the freedom to choose what one would choose to do. What we're doing is we are providing data which is very messy um, but also very useful and providing that feedback in a way or providing that data to an individual which will help them perform their job better in a way which is backed by very rigorous science. How do you see this working in the shipping industry? We've got a number of ships, we've got a great number of ships, 50, 60,000 that are sailing the oceans. How do you see this tool of yours being able to encourage individuals when it's such a big ballpark that you could work with? Well, I think... um, I must stress first and foremost that we're still in the early stages of of, of our engagement with the maritime sector, and, and uh, there are many, many lessons for us to learn um, about the uh, the data, the behaviours which are valuable. Mindful that ships are extremely different from one another, um, and also the the levels of variance, uh, the, the 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 best way to communicate with with individuals, but ultimately. Um, as I mentioned at the start, really, across industries, we see that there are similarities between human performance and motivators to encourage changes in human performance. And ultimately, these derive from um, sort of the, the pillars of behavioral economics, which are uh, framing, priming, uh, normative comparisons, um, providing goals. These are a whole, there are a whole set of uh, these nudges that we use within our uh, feedback 
which we know can drive um, significant changes in human performance um, and also improvements in worker job satisfaction as well. So um, there is going to be a little bit of um, testing and, and understanding the best uh, feedback to provide in, in, in the maritime context. But we're pretty confident that um, a combination of goal setting um, to, at the individual level and some smart incentivization is is certainly a good foundation to build upon. Um, it, so I, I think think of, think of this like a, a very secure Fitbit for work where um, the individual's data is only shared or, or, or accessed by ourselves and the individual and everything that's provided to an external party or a, or a management or a manager is uh, anonymized so so the individuals cannot feel that pressure that if they're not performing as well as they should um, then they're going to be in trouble for that well, tell me a little bit more about the incentivization part of that in in short there's um there's often an assumption that in in order to perform or, or to, to, to encourage uh, better performance of employees, um, an organization um, has to, would pay them more money. The, the, the economic um, pushback to that is, is that, that that relationship is not direct or, or linear. So um, just if, if you pay someone twice as much money, you're not going to get twice as much output. And so um, linking in incentives are, is, a, is a super interesting area uh, to research. And there's very little understood about uh, the type and amount of incentives that drive the highest performance improvements. And um, in our work in aviation, the plan or proposal was that, um, quite simply in academic terms, was to provide direct incentives to pilots um, upon their um, performance goals being achieved. And as you can imagine, this in practice was not a good story to tell because paying a pilot to take on less fuel before takeoff isn't such a good news story for an airline. So um, in consultation with the unions at the time, um, it was decided that rather than uh, use this as a paper performance tool we would in fact um, use charitable donations so in effect rather than pay the the, um, the captain directly the, uh, the the financial incentive would be paid to a charity that they they cared about and they would they were given a selection of charities to choose from this this was quite a remarkable outcome because although the incentivization in, in the study had no significant impact on performance um, that we could see. Uh, throughout the study, we were measuring um, job satisfaction through some, some quick questionnaires. And the group that were receiving the charitable donation incentive showed a huge improvement in job satisfaction. Um, it was equivalent to moving from poor health to excellent health in, in, in economic terms. So in reality, that discovery was that not only were we able to provide feedback in a way which improved performance, but we were also able to provide feedback in a way which also uh, helped staff feel, feel better, than, better in their jobs. Um, so now uh, Signal is, is a combination of the two outcomes, um, job satisfaction and performance. And so this kind of reciprocal or donation-led um, incentivization is 
a super interesting area with um, benefits to external bodies. Those can be local charities, organizations that the individual cares about. And, and that value is, is, is so, so uh, important and, and, and very difficult to quantify sometimes. Tell me then a little bit about Signal, the company. Then uh, I'm aware that you uh, created the company with your business partner, who's a professor in behavioral economics. How did you create the company? And tell me a little bit about how you see Signal becoming part of the shipping industry. We, we began, um, I suppose, with, with many companies. We began with a, with a frustration or a blocker. In, in, in my personal case, this was due to the fact that um, that it's it's very difficult to get people to change their behaviour with regards to environmental outcomes, and um, it's important to note that behaviour is subject to the data which we can access or measure. So, um, for instance, it's extremely difficult to measure how much food waste someone is producing because it's just difficult to monitor that remotely. Um, and so um, moving away from sort of reported data bias, um, I, I, I met my co-founder who at the time was um, leading some of the UK's first research into behavioral economics using a technique called a randomized control trial, which is an extremely scientifically robust way of, of showing whether an intervention has worked or not. Um, and it's the same way medicines are tested. And um, Rob, who's, who's my co-founder, Rob Metcalf, he um, basically introduced me into this field of behavioral economics where there'd been um, discoveries by world-leading academics in the sort of preceding 10 to 20 years in understanding the core decision-making processes of human beings. And those are rooted in our, um, in our unconscious mind. And we're pushed and pulled by our environment and context more than we think we are. So an example of this is uh, why do supermarkets have fresh fruit, fruit and veg at the front of the store? Um, this is to prime uh, shoppers to um, to have the impression that everything within the store is fresh, and so these kinds of techniques are um, have been the preserve of uh, the sales industry for many years, and 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 ultimately um, they can provide um, solutions to help make the world a better place. Effectively, so um, we pursued um, a little bit of research together. Then we formed a, a research consultancy that would apply um, behavioral science and, and, and behavioral economics to um, social problems. And, and I suppose just to quickly draw the link between the two words, um, ultimately human beings are not rational decision makers. And so, um, so for instance, if we put the price of a, of, of, of a good up, it doesn't mean to say that um, people will buy less of it. Um, it, it, it's, it's much more nuanced than that. And behavioral economics is, is kind of understanding those irrationalities by understanding the psychology that, that underpins those choices. So, um, so while we were working in our consultancy, Rob and um, a number of his academic colleagues undertook a, a research project with Virgin Atlantic. Now, as you may know, aviation 
um, and to, to, to a similar extent, shipping are major contributors to, um, I don't mean uh, they, they take the lion's share, but they are, have a significant contribution to greenhouse gas emissions as, as industries. And um, in aviation in particular, um, we were able to, in this study, uh, demonstrate that by providing simple feedback in letters, uh, we were able to, well, uh, the, the airline Virgin Atlantic saved approximately $6 million of fuel um, in eight months. At, uh, I think it was at 2013 prices. So with that kind of level of commercial value at stake and the greenhouse gas emissions that, re that, that retached that fuel and the simplicity of the solution from a return on investment perspective, this was a no-brainer. Um, it was a case of, hey, can we scale this? into something which is not, no longer academic and much more of a commercially business-driven solution. So that uh, so we created a software technology product. Um, it's taken us a few years to build this out, to suit different markets, to suit different data. And as you can imagine, we're dealing with a whole, uh, a huge amount of noise from the data side of things. So, um, and now we're, we're slowly trying to convince um, airlines and um, shipping operators, managers, owners, and whatnot, that uh, this this is a good thing to do. Um, and it's going to be not only beneficial to their business, but also beneficial to the environment as well. And what sort of inroads have you made so far within the shipping industry? Um, well, well, interestingly, um, it, it, although it was always on our mind as, as an industry to approach, um, to be completely frank with you, the industry came to us. Um, so we were presenting about our work in aviation and the light bulb appeared in, in, in a number of companies and they, uh, they approached us. So I, I must say I've been really, really uh, refreshed and inf uh, infused by the open-mindedness of, of the industry. Um, by seeing this the solution without any prompting from ourselves, so um, we've engaged with with a number of um, large shipping operators working in um, who operate tankers, container ships, and also uh, crews as well. And we're slowly. Uh, I must stress that we're, it is early stages, uh, but we are um, finding some extremely interesting. Um, uh, discoveries and, and I, I must respect the com commercial confidentiality of the, the, the companies that we're working with, but there's, there is uh, gold in them, our hills. Um, there, there is definitely opportunities that we can see where a similar um, feedback solution can drive very, very large benefits. You and I were both at a crew welfare and digital technology event last September, September 2019, in the headquarters of Inmarsat. And we heard a number of different uh, conversations about the focus on crew welfare and the pros and cons of the technologies that are being made available and that the crews are told to use on ships. Mm -hmm. What's your thinking about how crew themselves can actually engage with technologies. I understand that you're saying that this is a nudge technology, but on the other side, there's a lot of other technologies that they're being asked to um, engage with and use. 
So do you think that we have to be very careful about how we move forward with technology in the shipping industry, particularly when we're looking at crew welfare? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think the starting point is, um, is what kind of data is, is, is our measure of success. And um, for, obviously with safety, I, I would imagine that's, um, in, that could be incidents reporting, um it's 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 i imagine it's a very sensitive area and so the question for me uh in in my um humble opinion is are is the success of these technologies measured against incidents reporting or actual incidents um because there's there's the issue of thinking about well just because incidents reporting goes up, are people incentivized to 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 potentially report things that that, that may not exist or, or, or whatever? So, I, I, I'd be interested to see what success actually looks like. Um, similarly, um, the way that we understand how uh, um, the, the the mental health um, of crew, uh, the relationships between the teams is is a super interesting area but also a very sensitive area and again i would draw on the fact that um understanding uh how to extract that data and make it useful and secure is is certainly one of the the key foundations of success in that field but but ultimately there's i don't see why there's nothing to stop the industry from uh, applying similar techniques to some of those outcomes and that is obviously something that we would be open-minded to exploring ourselves, all, all things being well on the data side of things. That was Dan White, co-founder of Signal, a startup looking to use behavioural economics, notably nudging in the shipping industry to encourage ships' crews to be part of the fuel-saving emissions reduction efforts that a company may have. Now it's time for our weekly look at innovation at Startups with Nick Chubb at Aetius who has some worrying updates from the SATCOM's world. Thanks, Craig. Well, it's been a bad week for the satellite sector. Uh, Intelsat has become the latest in a string of bankruptcies. They filed for bankruptcy this week, and that follows uh, OneWeb and Speedcast, who also filed for bankruptcy in the last two months. OneWeb is restructuring in an attempt to sell, but for Speedcast and Intelsat, it's an opportunity to restructure their business and ultimately try and improve their balance sheets for the long term. This is a really interesting early indication of the impact COVID-19 is going to have on the cruise industry suppliers. Obviously, shutting down the entire passenger market, even if it's only temporary, is going to have a massive knock-on impact for everyone that serves the sector. Providing data to the cruise passenger sector is obviously highly profitable in good times, uh, but it could prove the downfall of many credible companies uh, as the sector is in a massive downturn. Maritime connectivity providers are at the sharp end, but it's worth noting as well that the satellite industry is in a, a high state of flux right now. Uh, Richard Branson, as well as mortgaging his Caribbean island, is selling off $500 million of shares in Virgin Galactic to prop up the rest of the Virgin Group. So if you look at OneWeb and Virgin and any others to come, together for a well-capitalized group it's a significant opportunity to acquire both the expertise and the assets to become a a credible player in the new space race but they're gonna have to be pretty quick because when he's not crashing his own share price on twitter or coming up with creative baby names uh, or defying local government orders 
Elon Musk is pretty busy sending satellites into space too. Their Starlink program now has 422 satellites in orbit. That's out of a planned 12,000 to make up the full constellation. Uh, the, it's recently made headlines around the world for being visible from Earth. And in fact, if you're in the UK this week, um, you can see them flying overhead at about 10 o'clock at night. Starlink's going to start their public beta of a satellite broadband service in North America from November this year, um, looking at a global rollout from 2021 onwards. So what does all this mean for the shipping industry? Well, in the next five years, it's highly likely we're going to see what you might call at-home broadband capability available at sea for the price of VSAT. The vast, vast array of possibilities this opens up is really difficult to comprehend, but I've no doubt it will change the industry forever. Nick Chubb from Theteus, looking at the sky for us this week. That's it for this edition of Aronax, and staying with the theme, can I nudge you to subscribe to this podcast? You can go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and Acast to do that, and visit Fathom World and sign up for the weekly newsletter, The Transformation, to make sure that you get your insights and industry news about the changes happening in the shipping, maritime and ocean space. Thank you, and goodbye. Thank you.